Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is the 14th of May, and there's a reason that I'm giving you the date, because um, things change day to day, and sometimes you're listening to this in a podcast, and you need, uh, you need a point in time, you need me to point at a point in time, because there's, you know, ongoing rapid development in some of these uh, conversations across the country, particularly in terms of who can do what, where, and when, and so I want you to know what day it is. There you go. It's when it... You know, it's Thursday. <laughs> I almost said it was Wednesday. I might have already said it's Wednesday. I think it's Thursday. Paul, is it Thursday? It is it's Thursday. Thursday. Ben, as ben my mom would say, it's Thursday all day. Yeah, yeah. Ben Johnson's going to be on, so I know it's Thursday. Yes, That's sort of how I go. keep track of Thursday. Okay, so uh, Minnesota Governor Tim Waltz has announced that the peacetime emergency continues. However, the stay-at-home order is going to expire next week, allowing retail businesses across Minnesota to reopen on May the 18th. Not all of them, but many of them. Uh, The details of the new Stay Safe Minnesota plan outline which businesses can reopen and which must uh, still remain closed until at least June the 1st. All right. In Wisconsin, the state Supreme Court struck down the governor's extension of that state's stay at home order, which is set to expire uh, next week as well. So in a 4-3 decision, the court declared the governor's attempt to extend the order invalid and therefore unenforceable ruling that he lacks the authority to enforce it uh, without input from that state's legislature. So this is a a recognition that divided government matters, elections matter, um, who's in, you know, the governor's office matters, um, and your appeals to your own legislators matter as well uh, in these conversations. Now, globally, one of the things I want to highlight today, we, uh, we lifted or elevated this concern several weeks ago um, as we were beginning to see signs of not only food shortages, but um, just the dire situation in, in some countries across Northern Africa where the locust swarms have already decimated food crops for the year and recognizing that food assistance programs cannot, uh, cannot take anything across a, they cannot cross a national border right now. So let's say Samaritan's Purse, for example, um, might be ready, might be staged in a particular region in the world to actually deliver supplies into an area. But right now, those supplies cannot cross an international border because borders are closed um, because of the pandemic. So we saw this coming. And now in a lead article in the Wall Street Journal this morning, there's this recognition that due to soaring prices, uh, and a breakdown in transportation and processing and distribution. Crops are rotting in fields around the world, um, and we are headed toward not only not only another wave of COVID-19, but swiftly toward global famine uh, in many places in the world. And so 
we need to be um, aware that, that that decisions that are made on our behalf or on the behalf of uh, of another people group in another nation around the world, when a government makes a decision or a set of decision decisions or a series of decisions to save life in terms of COVID-19, um, the challenges that are then posed to life and livelihood in other ways um, that, for whatever reason, have been unanticipated by some people, um, those have real consequences as well. And if you don't, if people don't eat, they don't live. And so we are, um, we are quickly headed toward a, a, a global food crisis, not because there's not enough food. There's plenty of food. There's plenty of food. Um, but the food is rotting in the fields or it is rotting in outside of processing plants or it simply cannot be distributed because there are uh, there are no points of distribution and people don't have money to buy it anyway. So there you go. That is uh, uh, that is certainly a pray the news headline of the day. All right. Waiting in the wings is Ben Johnson. He and I are going to talk about, I don't know, a real, what sounds like a really sexy uh, topic, Title IX regulations. Trust me, trust me, trust me. It's super important. And Ben's going to explain to us what is going on with Title IX regulations. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is my right. Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute joins me now. We are actually going to lead off with a conversation uh, that you can find at intellectualtakeout.org. Takeout is a good thing these days. Ben Johnson, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Good to be with you. Intellectual takeout. I like it. I'm in favor of any kind of takeout, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, so um, explain to us, well, remind us what Title IX is, and then uh, tell us what happened um, with the unveiling of new Title IX regulations by Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos um, and, and where we are in this conversation in terms of a country. Right. Title IX refers to uh, civil rights uh, dealing particularly with uh, education. And uh, Betsy DeVos issued new regulations that replaced the uh, understanding of the Obama administration. In uh, 2011, the Obama administration issued a Dear Colleague letter. Uh, It didn't pass any new piece of legislation. It wasn't even a a formally codified process where the public would have the ability to weigh in on what was happening. They just rolled out a, a letter to every college and university and every school in the country saying, from now on, this is how we're going to interpret Title IX. And uh, it took away a lot of protections for someone who is accused of either sexual assault or sexual harassment uh, in a public college setting. So uh, and as a result of this, we saw, for example, a 12-year-old child was, uh, ex- was suspended for a day uh, for staring at a 12-year-old girl. Uh, according to an eyewitness, they were having a staring contest, but um, – uh, she she went forward and said that uh, she felt intimidated by the way that uh, this boy was staring at her, and uh, so he was suspended. 
Fast forward to last Wednesday, and uh, Betsy DeVos, Education Secretary, put forward a very long set of documents that uh, is the result of years upon years of dialogue with educators, with parents across the country. And it says, if you are accused of sexual harassment or uh, sexual assault on campus, you have certain rights. A, you have the right uh, to – the university has the right to use something higher than the preponderance of the evidence standard. That sounds pretty dull in legalese. What that means, preponderance of the evidence means if you have the evidence in front of you and you had to flip a coin. You weren't really convinced one way or the other, but you had to come to a decision. If you flip a coin and you would come down on the side of guilty, that person's guilty and can be expelled and have that on his record for life. Uh, now colleges and universities have the right to use a higher form of evidence than that. Uh, the person has the right to have all of the charges presented to him uh, or her, it's quite often females as well. All of the charges will be presented 10 days before an in-person hearing. Uh, there are protections for the, um, the accuser uh, so that if someone has been sexually harassed or, or uh, heaven forbid, raped, they don't have to come face-to-face and directly interact with the person who's being accused. But the accused has the right to cross-examine evidence, to know what the evidence is, to cross-examine the witness, and to uh, say that certain evidence is flawed. And then there will be a a tribunal rather than just one person. In many universities, one person collects all the evidence and then made all the decisions. So this simply reinstates certain basic things that we take for granted, like justice, uh, in the rights of the accused will be respected in universities from uh, one part of the country to the other. I'm talking with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. He is also the rights writer. That's how you can find him uh, on Twitter. Um, ben, I think that the uh, the example of the 12 year old is um, is illustrative. Um, we also, I think, want to you know, I mean, you and I want to be quick to recognize that sexual harassment and um, and rape, I mean, that's that's the whole wide range, right? Um, from sexual intimidation or sexual harassment to rape, um, these things do happen. We do live in a sexually violent culture. We want people to be protected. We certainly want students to be safe um, on their campuses. And we recognize that there are bad actors. So please do not hear Ben Johnson and I um, in any way uh, suggesting that any of these um, uh, are okay behaviors. They're not. What we are talking about are the rights of the accused and the accuser um, in the midst of these, and that those same rights that uh, that are afforded to you in, you know, in society at large should be afforded to students as well in the context of educational environments, which is what this uh, new, what these new regulations from. Uh, from Betsy DeVos and the Department of Education provide. Do I have that about right, Ben? Well, you absolutely do. And you know, quite often, uh, bona fide cases of rape are outsourced to university police who uh, often are, uh, have a bona fide uh, interest in uh, covering up cases like this. So they're, they're often not uh, pursued to the full extent that they should be. This uh, also helps strengthen the university process itself for the accuser to help them find justice. So this is a better situation all the way around, but it's been greeted as though uh, you know, she codified the handmaid's tale. <laughs> right. Well, because everything's political today. Yes. So we are going to hear we are hearing about this and we are going to hear about this in terms of a political conversation 
because obviously Joe Biden, who is the Democrats candidate for president, was a significant part of the Obama administration and therefore rules and regulations that came down during the Obama era. Um, Joe Biden now either has to uh, he either has to defend those or he has to distance himself from those. And in distancing himself from those, he distances himself from uh, from the opportunity to gain those voters. And so this is political. And I think that we we need to remind people of that, that the best interests of the accused and the accuser are what we need be we need to have forefront in our minds, regardless of uh, maybe which political jersey we wear. And that's precisely what I think is, is at the heart of this. You put your finger on it, which is that we have to make sure whatever allegation comes down, it should be thoroughly vetted. All the evidence should be on the table. And if there has been uh, a violation, then it should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law or the fullest extent of uh, the academic uh, repercussion that would be coming from that, from the university. But no one should uh, bear a scarlet letter for the rest of their lives over an allegation that did not occur because there were simply a weak process that tended to favor uh, prosecution and conviction over a thorough vetting of all the evidence. All right, we got to take a very brief break. Ben, when we come back, um, I want to talk about whether or not, and if so, what right we have to education in this country, what kind of education and in what form and to what end. This is an ongoing conversation across the country, and we've had one court at least weigh in on it. And then I want to raise the question with you about face masks because um, it's become like a cultural dividing line in the country. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. Um, Ben, do I have a right to education? If so, what kind and in what form and to what end? Is there a constitutional right to education and does it fulfill the democratic process as some contend? Well, as you've said, uh, this is an issue that is uh, thrust upon us because of a ruling from the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, which um, has just heard a case called Gary B. V. Whitmer. Of course, a lot of people know that name, Whitmer from Gretchen Whitmer, governor of Michigan. And uh, it's been uh, brought to the courts by some impoverished school districts in the Detroit area. Uh, they, they are genuinely impoverished and they have deplorable conditions. There's no question about it. They're suing for basic equity. But what happened was, uh, the, in a two-to-one decision, the three-panel uh, judge of the Sixth Circuit ruled that you have a right to, quote, a basic minimum education, unquote, end quote, guaranteed by the government. Now, uh, you might have missed that in, uh, in any enumeration of the Bill of Rights. You might have missed that uh, anywhere in the U.S. Constitution in its text. Uh, you might have missed that in any previous jurisprudence that's gone before the U.S. Supreme Court. There is no such right. People have the right to an education, but it's not vested with the government. The right to education is vested with the parents. And we see this all the way back, even in Scripture in Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 11, 9 here. Uh, it's a commandment from the Lord to the parents. You shall teach your children diligently and speak of the Lord's commandments when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you rise up. It didn't say force Moses to teach this to you or his many advisors to teach this to you. Uh, instead, that, that's a, a right and a privilege, uh, and uh, it's a responsibility upon every parent to make sure that their children have an adequate education. Uh, it is not one that can be outsourced to the government. And the fact that we're trying to alienate parents 
and place this right, take it out of their hands and give it to a government official, particularly one uh, as grasping as Gretchen Whitmer, uh, should give all of us great concern. Yeah, this is um, this is a story people need to follow, need to pay attention to, need to communicate um, uh, frequently about at the most local of levels, because this is where those educational decisions are most often made and enforced. All right. You and I have a couple of minutes uh, left. Let's talk about face masks. The editor of First Things says um, that wearing face masks shows my cowardice. Uh, Let me just go ahead and say um, he's wrong in terms of why I don a face mask. Uh, when I go out to places where, you know, I don't know where all of those other people have been, who they've been with, what they have been up to. You know, I'm washing my hands. I'm, uh, you know, I'm social distancing. I'm not uh, I'm not uh, self-quarantining um, because I do not believe that I have been exposed to anyone with the coronavirus. Um, but I, I don't have any interest in putting myself or others at risk. Talk with me about um, this sort of cultural dividing line contest that's going on right now. Yeah, there were two really concerning comments. One of them is, uh, as you mentioned, from Rusty Reno, who is the editor of First Things. He's really taken that magazine in a lamentable direction since the death of Richard John Newhouse. He tweeted out that wearing a mask is a sign of cowardice. He says it's dominated by, quote, fear of infection and fear of causing infection. Both are species of cowardice. Now, I would say that preventing yourself from being infected with a potentially deadly virus uh, is not a species of cowardice. It's good judgment. It's good stewardship of the life God's given you. And not wanting to infect others is an act of love. It's not an act of cowardice. So I think he's got the motivation wrong uh, in the extreme. You've seen a similarly concerning uh, statement from uh, an Ohio state representative, the great state of Ohio, Nino Vitale. Uh, Nino is, uh, frankly, one of the better representatives, uh, one of the very best on uh, issues of life and so on. But he said if Governor Mike DeWine forces people to wear masks, which he did, and then he rescinded the order. During that window of time, Nino Vitale recorded a Facebook video where he said, uh, this is the greatest nation on earth founded on Judeo-Christian principles. One of those principles is we're all created in the image and likeness of God, and that image is most seen by our face. Okay, that's just the mo- like one of the more ridiculous things I've ever heard. I, I seriously, I mean, I, I, I th- this is when this is when I want people who you know profess to be Christians and are in public positions where people actually follow them on social media to uh, uh, have their phones taken away. That that is one of the more ridiculous things I have ever heard. That the image of God is vested in the human face. What? Where does that even originate? What? Where does that come from? What is he talking about? I, I think this is uh, just you know, a word association game. It's like image, face, we'll put these two things together. Uh, you know, and, and heaven forbid, I was like, I'm right with you all the way down until this huge left turn of, of uh, bad you know, bad logic comes along and just sideswipes us like a truck T-boning a, a Hyundai. You know, this is, this is terrible. Uh, the fathers of, of the church, the ancient theologians of the church, when, when they spoke about the image of God, came to different ideas. Most people interpret the idea of the image of God as the intellect, and that's been sort of the predominant way that uh, most people have looked at what that means to be created in the image of God. We're able to think God's thoughts after him in a certain way. Uh, other people have said that it's our ability to create. Some people have said it's our ability to uh, to speak. Uh, there's a father by the name of uh, Maximus the Confessor who said that it's our ability to choose and uh, to have uh, a virtuous life to choose good over evil that makes us in the image of God. But none of them ever said 
it's your faith. It's your kisser. And if this is the image of God, I could understand a lot of people being atheistic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no doubt. Okay, so um, I want people to consider, uh, you know, some some reasonable ways to uh, to articulate that we are made in God's image. There's an ontological argument that Ben has just laid out, the nature of being, that we have these qualities of rationality or cognitive capacity, um, that we are, that we have moral agency, another way of understanding that, that we're relational, another um, another way of, we're you know, we're fundamentally relational, and that is the way in which we're made in the image of God. A third view would be the functional vice regency understanding that unlike the rest of creation, Human beings actually function as God's chief representatives in the world. That would be the view that stresses um, the exercise of dominion over all creation. So just, you know, let's let's be thinking people. Let's not pass on to others um, comments like this one on, on Twitter. Let's instead actually consider how we are made in the image of God and what in the world our face has to do with that. Okay, yeah, I, I have so much to say on that, but we have to leave it right there. Ben Johnson, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, for joining us. We look forward each and every week to talking with you. Thank you so much. God bless you and all of your listeners. Likewise. We'll be right back. Did you participate in the National Day of Prayer? Uh, Did you listen right here to the full coverage of the National Day of Prayer service here on Faith Radio? We had Kathy Branzell on in anticipation of the National Day of Prayer. She's back today to talk with us about some stories from the National Day of Prayer and to inspire us to continue to pray. She and I are also going to talk about something really special we can all do with and for our graduating seniors. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, so yesterday we talked with Pastor Colin Smith about our Open the Bible Summer in the Scripture event uh, that we are co-hosting, or I don't know, co-sponsoring, co-co-doing. We're co-doing. We're partnering um, together. Yes. Oh, partnering together. Very yeah. super nice. That's so nice. Uh, partnering together with Unlocking the Bible. So you can check that out at myfaithradio.com. Great to go ahead and sign up for that um, during the month of May, so that we can be in the Scriptures together over the summer in this Open the Bible experience. Also this summer. Uh, Many of you have been asking, hey, hey, what's up with the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference? Well, we are still going to hold it, but we're going to hold it online. It's now going to be fully online with a mix of live and pre-recorded presentations. Attendees will still um, have access not only to keynote speakers like Karen Kingsbury and um, and uh, Alicia Britt uh, Sholey, but but access to all 22 breakout sessions. So you you know before you were only going to be able to go to the ones that you could physically go to, like right now you can go to all all of them, and you can still also have appointments with an editor, agent, or author. Those will just be virtual one on ones. Um, and so all your questions about this could be answered, and you can register online today at NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. We'll be right back. The teenage years are important ones. They're not just a time to get through as fast as possible, especially when it comes to spiritual things. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It's easy to wish away the turbulent teen years, but I wish I could show you what they'll look like 20 years from now when you and your child will fondly remember these days. You'll see that God was doing great things. He was teaching your son or daughter to think, to understand, to trust, and to take risk. 
He was molding them just as he wanted. And beyond that, he was teaching you to let go and to trust him. These lessons in spiritual growth are too valuable to wish away. Looking to make positive changes in your family? Check out the helpful resources from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me again today is Kathy Branzell. Uh, the National Day of Prayer has passed, but our call to prayer has not. Kathy, welcome back. Hey, good to be with you again. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for um, for coming back and uh, telling us the stories, uh, your experiences of the National Day of Prayer, what you've heard from people across the country. Um, just fill us in. Uh, we we are grateful. I love the verse that was just on just on the radio. God has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. So, uh, so many people, it's, it's just like the writer's conference. So many more people got to be involved in this year's national day of prayer, way more prayers and prayers from across the generation and across this nation. We are thrilled at the number of people who cross posted with us, uh, the, the radio stations like yourself that picked us up and, and carried it from uh, from our broadcast all over the U.S. into people's hearts and homes. And we are getting all kinds of glory stories. Um, our email has filled up with glory stories as well as people calling in to the Billy Graham Association, talking to them, needing prayer, making decisions for Christ. There's just the list goes on and on. All right. Tell us one of those glory stories. First of all, I just love that language. Yes. So we we have had stories from people as young as 14 talking about how lonely that they have been and um, just how isolating this whole situation has been and how how grateful they were to see young people praying with us on our national observance and how they felt like they were right there with them, that they weren't alone and realizing that they could be praying with their friends. Um, as well as just talking and talking about how bored they are, how sad they are, that they could turn that into prayer requests and start praying together. And then we had um, a 94-year-old widow, just the same thing. You know, there's all of these, we felt so together. There was so much togetherness in this um, story, in this broadcast. And so, um, and we're grateful too. I want to make sure everybody knows that if you missed it, if you didn't get to watch last Thursday, you can watch it any day and every day on the nationaldayofprayer.org website. So huge glory story today. So prayer request for all of our listeners to be praying for Europe today. Because on Friday of last week, we got a call from Revelation Christian Network over in the UK asking if they could show our broadcast in its entirety across Europe today. Mm. So Mm. please be praying as the gospel, as prayers and the gospel message of Jesus Christ is spread across Europe today. Um, Kathy, let's just pause and pray for that right now. Let's let's demonstrate what we're asking people to do. Please, please. Father, um, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your glory. We thank you for the revelation of your glory. We thank you for the demonstration of your glory and the glory stories we have to tell. We thank you for the National Day of Prayer. 
Um, and we thank you for the way that the broadcast came together um, and was experienced on the National Day of Prayer here. And we thank you for the way that that is now redounding to others. And so we ask that you would amplify your glory today across the nations of Europe, that you would find your way through this broadcast um, and this partnership with with Revelation uh, um, Christian Network. We just thank you, Father, for broadcasting this service to people in uh, across Europe who may not know who you are or may be questioning whether or not you're present and powerful and paying attention in the midst of all that they are experiencing. And so, Father, we just ask that it would go forth with power today um, through the rebroadcast uh, of the National Day of Prayer service. What, uh, what an opportunity, Father, to glorify yourself. And we look forward to reveling in it and telling the glory stories in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm. Kathy, that's mm-hmm. so exciting. I mean, this is, is so flat out exciting. Uh, so much glory. Um, all right. So uh, give us one more glory story before we have to go to a break. And then when we come back, I want you to um, I want you to share with folks this national senior send off thing that uh, that our friends at Dare to Share are doing. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, of course, uh, bottom line is people making decisions to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And uh, with a partnership from the Billy Graham um, Association, as as Will and I were uh, co-hosting there at the Billy Graham Library, uh, we know that over a thousand people in those two hours made decisions to follow Jesus Christ. And that is the greatest glory story of all. And any of your listeners that watched or that go online and watch uh, they can send us their glory story. Let us know what this broadcast meant to them. Let us know their prayer request or how God has shown up during this uh, COVID-19 season uh, in their own homes and their own relationships. They can email us at glory.story at nationaldayofprayer.org. Glory.story at nationaldayofprayer.org. All right, I'm writing that down. Glory.story at nationaldayofprayer.com. Org. Oh, dot org. org. See, it's, this is why yep. I always have to We're ask. Nationaldayofprayer.org. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, all right. So let's take a very brief break. When we come back, um, I want to, first of all, I want, I want you to walk through um, some of these things that are on the website in terms of taking the next step. Um, we want to mm-hmm. celebrate the Churches Helping Churches initiative. I'd love for you to share about that. We've featured Go 2020 here. We've featured Year of the Bible. We've featured Claim Your Campus. We have featured every campus. So we are with you in this. Um, but I'd love to um, I'd love to highlight uh, Churches Helping Churches. And then if you would share with us, please, about this Dare to Share National Senior Send-Off as well. All of that up next with Kathy Branzell. We'll be right back. Give me All right, I am posting uh, on Twitter the link to the National Day of Prayer Observance so you can watch it and you can share it with others. Also posting there the glory.story at National Day of Prayer email address so you can share your glory story with Kathy Branzell. She is joining us uh, today from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. You guys have lots and lots of partners at the National Day of Prayer. I want to talk about one of those. We have um, we, we talk frequently with Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. Um, and yes. so talk with us about this Churches Helping Churches initiative. Yes, and 
Um, you actually introduced me to Justin, so thank you. I love how relationships turn into partnerships, and you know, we we serve together. So we know that there have been so many churches uh, that have been hit hard by this COVID-19 and not being able to gather, not being able to worship together in the church. We've been excited about, you know, the church being dispersed, but still we need to remember that these um, vital ministries um, still need our tithes. They still need our funding. They still, we still need to come together. It will be very exciting as we get to come back to church together in fellowship and worship. And so uh, we are doing churches, helping churches uh, to help raise money on May 15th at 8 p.m. to raise money for the churches that have been hit hardest across the country best we can. We know there's a lot of them. Um, but you can uh, watch. We are cross-posting that on our Facebook Live, um, but the togethergeneration.com um, forward slash CHC for churches, helping churches is the best place to go there and help us help churches um, in this great time of need. There's been so many great fundraisers for so many important needs, but we don't want to forget our church. Absolutely. So the Churches Helping Churches uh, benefit simulcast it takes place on May the 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So 7 p.m. for those of us in central time, you can um, you can find it through a myriad of uh, partners whom you have heard featured here. You can find it through National Day of Prayer dot org. You can find it through uh, Together Generation or Together 2020. You can help you can find it through the and campaign or churches helping churches uh, directly. So you guys, uh, it's not hard to find. So please check it out. I will uh, cross post it on all of my social media as well. All right. Yeah. You introduced me to uh, d- to Dare to Share. And so I'd love mm-hmm. for you to share the Dare to Share National Senior Sendoff. Yes, uh, we, we love Dare to Share. And so this has been particularly a hard time for high school seniors. Um, I know college seniors as well, as I have one, um, and this week was supposed to be graduation. But, uh, you know, go back and think about your senior year of high school and how excited you were towards graduation, how vital spring was. And think about what if you didn't have senior prom? What if you didn't have baccalaureate? What if you didn't have senior awards? And you had worked so hard. And so our friends at Dare to Share and Greg Steer there um, want to make sure that seniors are celebrated. And so they are having the National Senior Send-Off on May 28th at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, so 7 o'clock Central. And um, you can go to National Senior sendoff.com to get more information, but this is going to be an incredible time. So as a class of 2020, you won't just get to celebrate with your particular high school class. You'll get to celebrate with the entire class, uh, people from all across the nation um, celebrating this memory-making milestone um, of what you've done, all that God has done in you and through you, and really get to celebrate. Now, we don't want it to just pass by unnoticed. And so, uh, so many incredible partners, 
that um, have come together with this, Claim Your Campus and Campus Alliance and so many others, Winter Jam, to make sure that our seniors are celebrated and launched into what God has next for them. All right. Um, yeah, we just we just love that. Let's um, let's be sure we highlight the date and the website address one more time, Kathy. Yep. May 28th at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central Time. And you can go to National Senior Sendoff.com. All right. National I will send that. I'll send that out on all my socials as well. Beautiful. Yes, we right, want to right. celebrate these seniors. Yes, yes. This yeah. now generation coming, running with us. We have to remember. We keep we keep uh, sending out that message that we are we together are the now generation living for such a time as this in such a situation as this for God's glory in all of this, and we are running together, praying together, standing together sacrificing together. You know, we want our uh, young and old and every year in between, and you can choose what you are, (laughs) young or old. Um, We are in this now together, and we want to celebrate and honor one another. Absolutely. All right. So uh, let me just hit the reminder list really quick. You can send your glory story via email to Kathy and the National Day of Prayer Task Force at glory.story at nationaldayofprayer.org. You can also check out the um, uh, the national observance of the National Day of Prayer. If you missed it, you can watch it on the National Day of Prayer website. It's also being broadcast today across Europe. So let's remember to pray for God's glory to extend over all the earth through this effort. Uh, tomorrow night, we want to invite you to participate in the benefit simulcast Churches Helping Churches. That's May the 15th at 7 p.m. Central. You can check that information out as well. Um, And then the National Senior Send-Off, and that information you're going to find at nationalseniorsendoff.com from our friends at Dare to Share. Uh, Kathy, Mm -hmm. thank you so much, as always, for joining us today. Uh, Thank you. Keep praying. Absolutely. And keep um, leading us into these fruitful um, uh, relationships and partnerships with Christians who are you know, on the forefront of all of this. We love working together with one another collaboratively. It's just such a blessing. It's glory. Thank you so much. God bless you. You too. We'll be right back. today to talk to you here at the end of the hour because there's something that we need to talk about amongst ourselves. Um, So this is actually a concern that is highlighted for me um, from a couple of different directions, uh, not least of which emails from you. And so first of all, I want to encourage you to continue communicating with me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. But know that when you engage with me, Uh, I'm not just going to mindlessly accept anything that you send. I am going to vet the sources that you send me. And then I am going to challenge you. um, Why are you passing on to others, including me, things that you have not vetted? Um, And so let us not only be people who uh, follow the one who is the way and the truth and the life, but but let us be people who only pass along to others that which we have taken the time to verify as best we can to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. 
Um, we have talked here about deep fakes. Um, we have talked about the fact that people do uh, make videos now putting words in other people's mouths. We have talked here about misrepresentation um, and and we have talked about the way things are edited so that they, you know, it's an outtake. It's not the full conversation. And we've also talked here about credibility um, and people who are credible sources of information versus those who are, frankly, trying to make a name for themselves in the midst of all of this. And so I, you need to pause and take a deep breath when something comes into your email um, that reinforces a narrative that that runs contrary to everything that you are hearing from uh, from media who actually do verify their sourcing and their information, who look for what we call multiple attestation, right? Are there multiple sources that are saying the same thing on this? What are the quote-unquote experts in the field? I recognize that that term is complex and complicated and that you would uh, understand some people to be experts, but just because somebody has the title of doctor, uh, trust me when I tell you, that does not necessarily mean that that person is a person you would go to for doctoring. So check them out. Would you go to them? If you would not go to them, please do not pass along to me uh, what they are what they are saying. So here's the way I want you to walk through this. Is this an attorney um, who uh, who I would trust to represent me in court? Is this a doctor whom I would trust with my own health or my child's health or my parents' health? Is this a pastor under whose teaching I would sit? Um, well, you know, or is this a purveyor of the news who I would trust to tell me the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God? So I want to encourage you to ask the question, is it the truth or does it contain misinformation? Is it fair to all concerned or is it intentionally misleading? And does it lead us to paths of righteousness for his name's sake or is it misguided? All right, we got another hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.